Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Before we jump into the episode, I'm going to play a couple songs from Heavy Hearted. The songs were released on Detonate Records in 2008. The songs are off the Overcast EP, and they are titled Once a Liar and Overcast. After those two tracks, we'll jump into the episode, and then stick around after the episode for a couple songs from Holy War. Don't give me those eyes! I don't need them right now! I'd fix this fucking mess if I only knew one more mistake! Please don't be
Welcome back. Welcome to episode 27 of Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Sorry for the delay. Uh, you know, I guess not too much has really changed. Uh, my guest today and I will get into that in a little bit. Uh, things kind of feel the same as they did a few months ago. Uh, I guess the big news for me is I got another uh, child on the way in June. So, uh, you know, things will get a little more hectic around the house and everything, but it should be cool. Anyways, yeah, this is Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. It's been a couple months. Uh, as always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Today's guest is my buddy Christopher Pogue. Uh, many of you probably know him from bands such as Holy War, Heavy Hearted, Fork Tongues, and, you know, just being around and doing a bunch of other shit as we'll get into. So without further ado, how, how's everything going for you, Chris? Good, man. Good, man. Uh, got my first uh, vaccine, so things are looking up. Nice. Yeah, my girlfriend and I have been talking about that. I, I was actually trying to get a test last night. Um, I don't I don't have any symptoms or anything. It's more just because her family's medical personnel. We're going to see them this weekend, so it's like a courtesy. And just yeah. just the whole thing of trying to get a test is is, is crazy enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, so. it's a nightmare. My dad, he, uh, he has COPD, and he lives with me, so he's like, you know, He's in that percentage of people that if they get it can end pretty badly. So, yeah, it was tough getting getting us both in. It was uh, the the state website's a nightmare. As it was not a shocker, <laughs> but uh, yeah, things looking up. And you know, weather's getting nicer. Hopefully. Yeah. And, yeah, as we'll get into, hopefully things are going to be looking up this year. Uh, uh, last year was kind of a down year. I mean, you know, some good came out of it for all of us, I think. But you know, overall, obviously, I, I think it's going to be looked at as kind of a you know, not the best. But uh, let's kind of get into you first, though. Uh, let's kind of uh, talk about your upbringing first uh, before we start talking about like, your bands and punk and hardcore. So kind of like tell me about, like you know, where you grew up and just like what your upbringing was like. Uh, I was born in California, um, in Northern California, about 60 miles north of San Francisco, uh, and lived there until uh, we moved here in 97. Um, my mom, she was originally from Germany. She was an immigrant and immigrated here when she was a kid to Rochester. And then um, when she turned 16, her and her boyfriend at the time just left, went out to California and went out to San Francisco. And like, he was like a big hippie and he actually uh, was a guitar maker and like made Jerry Garcia's guitars, his infamous guitars. Wow, that's pretty uh, cool. So there was like a whole thing. and. They had my brothers and my sisters and then got divorced or whatever and she met my dad who was born and raised in california and then uh yeah when i was about 12 she wanted she missed home she moved us all back here um not quite rochester south of rochester but uh and i've lived here longer than i lived in california so i don't even consider myself like a californian like i feel like i'm a new yorker more than anything so um, yeah, you know, uh, my mom and dad were pretty, you know, my, my dad worked with the, uh, developmentally disabled out in California for all of my life. Uh, my mom did it for a little bit too, but then my mom got sick, um, in the like early two thousands. So she was stay at home and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess it would be like blue collar. Um, I I always say I was pretty much just poor, <laughs> but uh, sometimes they go hand in hand these days. So 
Yeah, you know, I think our upbringing was was a little similar. And uh, just to give everybody a, a, a little peek behind the curtain, I guess, you and I had tried doing this interview a couple months back, and I had some technical issues. I don't recall if I mentioned to you that night, though, that I, I was also born in California. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, Northern California, uh, Sacramento. Uh, I was born in Santa Rosa. Yeah, so not too far. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, mean, I have no memories of it. I lived there until I was, like, maybe one, then we moved to Texas. Yeah. Um, and then I went back to Los Angeles once when I was like 25. Uh, yeah, I moved, yeah. Uh, I moved to Southern California when I was 21 for a little bit. And uh, I like hated it. Like, I, could, I mean, like I like the weather and obviously the food is great and whatever, but the vibe is just totally different in California than here. You know what I mean? Especially like Rochester area. There's something about Western New York, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, you know, not a dig at Californians, but. Yeah, no, California is cool, but I realized, you know, when I was out there, that's not really somewhere I'd want to live. Um, yeah. But I definitely know what you mean, because when I, you know, anywhere west I've been, it's definitely a different vibe, and we definitely have. Uh, I, I always tell people that too when I went to other places, and like I kind of, like when I was living in Denver, I kind of uh, had like an attitude with some people a couple times, and I was just like, yo, I'm from New York, I don't really know what to tell you, you know, like, not quite New York City, but you know, we have, we have an attitude up here sometimes if you rub us the wrong way, you know, so. And it's and definitely different, definitely a. Uh there's definitely a culture in Western New York that's, I feel like, uh, I, all the places I've lived is, none of them have touched, like, what we're about. It's, you know, there's, there's good things about a lot of places, but for some reason, always found, find my way back here, you know? And that's what I was going to say. So many people, uh, like, we, we realized this young, like, my, my buddy Ben and I, when we were, like, probably, like, 16, like, the mid-90s, that, there were so many people we had we, we had met by then already that had come and gone and, and they came back you know what i mean like it's just yeah. we would say there was like something here that attaches people but but it's just i don't know it's, it's it's a cool place so i like it and you know like i mentioned before i already you know i got the kid on the way and we already have a kid and i never really wanted to you had the idea of raising children in rochester but now that we're doing it you know it's 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 cool i think it's a, a pretty good place to raise kids um if you're having kids um you know it, it there's a lot of uh you know, depending on where you live too, like there's a little, even in the city, like my neighborhood feels very like small town. Um, and like, I know my neighbors, you know, stuff like that. Like there's a real, uh, sense of community in Rochester. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's a bad place to raise your kids at all. You know, I'd yeah. rather raise them here than like uh, a bigger city, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely feel that more, uh, completely like, uh, so with the community thing, we'll definitely get into that in a second too. But um, let's kind of talk about your musical influences, like kind of before you found punk and hardcore. Okay, yeah. So I mean, um, my dad was, you know, very influential in uh, my early musical taste, um, just because he always listened to like cassettes uh, in in the car radio. Um, so like Billy Joel um, was a big one, uh, especially like my dad only. <laughs> had the tape of like 80s Billy Joel so all the like pop hits were big um uh what else uh, Huey Lewis in the news um Paul Simon <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that like dad stuff and then as I got like uh, you know a little bit older like nine is when I kind of like started buying music for myself um you know and I mean I always say too like uh, I made the point before, like, uh, it's interesting. Like, the first cassette tapes I bought were Green Day, Dookie, and uh, Offspring Smash, which 
I feel like are close enough to punk that it was like, it was definitely like the, you know, dipping my toe in the water without even knowing what, what the, I didn't know what punk was, you know, you know, I was like, Oh, this is cool. And I didn't like a lot of grunge at the time because I knew the grunge was like super popular. Um, my brother, Paul definitely like passed down some stuff too at that time. Uh, like he tried to get me into stuff like, like Soundgarden was cool. I liked them. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, but like I didn't like Nirvana, I didn't like Pearl Jam, um, but I also think I mean I was nine, so <laughs> like my tastes weren't super refined. <laughs> um, soundtracks like the there's a movie uh, that thing you do that was a very uh, important movie in my life at the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, even watching it now, I'm like this movie, it's still good. Like it holds up, you know. That's the movie. Yeah. That's the movie with the park, the parking meter scene or whatever, right? Where he tries to jump over the yeah. parking meter and he hurts oh, his yeah. hand. Yeah. Ethan Embry, That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I used to watch that movie a lot back in the day when it was on like HBO and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you know, the musical upbringing is kind of similar too, because uh, uh, when I was in Houston, I, I definitely was listening to Huey Lewis in the news a lot. I still, to this day, have an admiration. I mean, Back to the Future is like one of my favorite movies. Dude, and that, that you know was, that was that was really what it was because me and my dad used to watch the back to the future movies and with that i'm like i really love this song he's like oh well, that's Huey Lewis on the news but um and, dude sports still a great record yeah so i guess again like me uh i mean i kind of more realized it because i i think i think our age difference is about four years i'm pretty sure i was born 81 and by the sounds of it you're born like 80 84 85 85 yeah yeah so so i was a little older like 94 when that like kind of second big leg of punk kind of broke out. So I kind of more realized what was going on as a teenager. Yeah. And that is what kind of led me there too, though. Like, especially bands like Rancid and stuff yeah. like that, which I, I still listen to them to this day. You know what I mean? So, yeah. but yeah, so that kind of got me into hardcore and punk. Like, and I guess it kind of got you into it as well. But like, what, what were some of the, the first shows you remember going to? Like, I guess big and small. The first, so the uh, preface on what we said before though, uh, the first real introduction to punk though was from my sister. She was older um, she's actually a little bit older than you. Um, she, well, a lot older cause she was 76 maybe. Um, and we growing up in Northern California, she was into punk and she saw a lot of crazy shows like uh, Gilman and stuff like that. Like, um, and she actually was the first one to give me the first like real like punk records I owned, which was like a Misfits record, a Dead Kennedys record. Minor Threat and uh, Bad Religion, and that was really what kicked it off. Cause that, like, I was 12, 13 then, and I'm like, oh, this is, I like this a lot. But it would still be, you know, a, a couple years before my first show. My uh, front, my best friend um, Ray, his older cousin Stacy, was uh, going to shows in Rochester, and I remember, I think we we're 14. I want to say it was 14. She had extra tickets to a Snapcase show at Water Street. And she's like, hey, do you guys want to go? And we were nerds that didn't, I didn't know what the fuck. I'm like, yeah, what do you mean a concert? <laughs> you know? And, uh, but that was it. Like that, that show changed everything. You know, seeing Snapcase really made me understand what, what I was listening to. Like, whatever that was the first like big show and the first local show uh coincidentally was uh nobody cares and then uh kevin mahoney's old band 
um, against the odds. And that was a totally different vibe even than the Water Street show. Water Street show was still a big stage, you know, it was like big, there's a lot of people. Eli Fagan at the Legion Hall, you know, I didn't understand. I'm like, why are they on the floor? I, I just didn't understand. Uh, and then seeing it, I'm like, yep, this is it. This is what I want to be a part of. Don't care. <laughs> it's, it essentially ruined my life, but, you know. <laughs> could have could have just been a normie and uh, grown up to be a lawyer or something, but that was it. I think about that kind of stuff a lot, too. And uh to kind of touch back on what you were saying too about the sister thing, which I think I had mentioned to you when we tried doing the first interview was uh, my sister wasn't quite uh, as deeply rooted into the, in the punk stuff, but like she kind of got me into the stuff too, like passing on records and she took me to a Ramones concert and you know, there was just cool stuff like that. But um, what you were saying with like the local scene, it seems like everybody kind of has like that first show where it's just like, they kind of realize like, this is it. And I think about that a lot though, because like, obviously I dove like, really really far into it and i think kind of sometimes like i broke my arm uh crowd surfing in like 1996 or 95 at a concert and i was going to try out for the basketball team the following week and i always kind of wonder if i wouldn't have broken my arm would i've still gotten into hardcore and punk or would i have like gone down this like crazy like varsity you know what i mean yeah, so so i played i played baseball from like the time i was five years old to junior like being a junior in high school then i when i was a junior in high school i was like oh too punk rock for you know school sports but i think about that all the time too but in hindsight i like to make the joke like i made the joke like it ruined my life but in the same way you know truly and as cheesy as it sounds dude but only certain people understand like it really did like save my life in a way too a lot of times more than one time you know it's not just like a this giant thing that happened and it's like oh it was like giant thing that happened definitely sent me down a certain path but then several different moments in my life if not for hardcore punk, I don't know where I would be or if I would even be here, you know? And I think that the, that that's the difference between like hardcore punk and like, say like, you know, just top 50 radio hits, you know? Um, is it really like, it's, unless you, unless you get it, you don't get it. No, I get what you're saying completely. Cause yeah, there's definitely, I look back on those times and like, I, I, as I was saying to you in, in a, and the notes, uh, hopefully there, there will be shows again. Like I, I put in parentheses, like if question mark, because we really don't know when that's going to happen. But like, I, I want to be a part of something else still, because the, the feeling you get from being a part of this scene is just, you know what I mean? I've never, I, I, I've been to, I, you you have too, I'm sure. Like we've been a part of like other communities and, and done different things in our lives. And, and there's there's a lot of cool people in, in different walks of life, but there's something in this in this thing of ours that is 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 completely different than anything else, you know? And, and, and I can't. You can't really put it into words, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. And I like, you know, even before before all this, like, uh, you know, I hadn't been to shows a lot. Um, and but it's it's different when you choose not to do something than when it's the option is taken from you. And like all I think about is like I, I wanna go to shows. Like I wanna like I I don't wanna just not do anything anymore. Like just be a part of it, be around my friends. You know, obviously we're older now. You know, so I don't know if I'll stand too close to the stage, but I will enjoy the music and like the camaraderie and the friendships and everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, as I've referenced on here a few times and as I'm sure you're aware, I, I uh, got into a pretty bad accident a few years ago. So my back and neck and arm probably I shouldn't stand that close to the front either. It's one of those things, too, though, where like I've been to so many shows and 
I'll tell my girlfriend or whoever I say before I go up there, I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna take it easy tonight and just be a fly on the wall or whatever. And then like, whoever, like terror, mad ball, negative approach, they come out and you're uh, next thing I know, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, something, something like, yeah. something in your brain just, so you're like, yeah. So yeah, you, you, you know, you and I, again, we kind of have a similar trajectory of how we kind of did things. So we, we kind of, you know, we, we, we both kind of realized there was like this cool DIY thing. And then at some point you kind of started like sing, singing for bands. Now, was there a point before you started your first band where you kind of wanted to like, you knew you wanted to be a part of like a band or whatever, or did that just kind of happen organically? Uh, yeah. Like when I was younger, back to like when I was like younger, that thing you do really make like, I was like, dude, I want to be in a fucking band. That's cool as hell. Look how cool, that guy's wearing sunglasses, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, and then like the second I the second I went to that local show, I'm like, I want to be in a band. You know, I I didn't have any musical talent, but that's how it goes. You know, um, and you know I you know I tried to learn instruments a lot in my life. You know, and I can like dabble in certain things. You know, um, but uh, I just always I guess being the front man, like just because I I always since I was a kid like I always wrote. Like I was always writing, whether it be like poems or like stories and stuff like that. So I kind of had like, I was gravitated towards being the lyricist and like being the singer and writing. Um, and, you know, in a hardcore band, being the singer, it's easy. It's the easiest job, easiest job you got. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how bad you sound. Yeah. Now, one thing I definitely want to dive into with you as we go along is, is like your your ideas behind your lyrics. So, you know, if there's themes for each thing, we can dive into that as we get with each band. So kind of remind me if I forget like that kind of thing, because, you know, I know you're one of those people who kind of takes your lyrics pretty seriously and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you know, so I, as, as, as I recall, Hanging Tough was the first actual band yeah. you were in then. Or so. Yeah, that was the first uh, band that like played shows or like recorded and stuff like that. And um, that was, uh, me and, uh, my buddy Brent, uh, we got a couple guys together, uh, Sean played drums, he couldn't find a drummer. Um, it was also around the time of like posse numbers and stuff. And when, when, when quote unquote posse core was very, very prevalent. And I'm like, I want to start a band that's like good, clean fun, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and that was like the easiest, like, again, e easiest shit to play. So um got together and and um you know it was fun i i as much as i the music was not good looking back on it because we were young uh we got to play a lot of really cool shows that i think of like just thinking of it as cool like you know playing we played the av space that weekend with like myonic of war and like all those bands um we played with good clean fun in a fucking living room in albany which was at the time crazy to me you know um so that was cool you know and um lyrically though it was it it was just stuff that i thought needed to be said that was you know positive <laughs> and this was like i'm sorry this was like 2005 2006 era this band right like around there you want to say or yeah i want to say 2005 I think I saw you guys at Montage around that era. That's what I'm trying to... That's, that's what yeah, I, that's, it might have actually been 2004 to 2006. It might have been a little early, because I, I think I was, like, 19. It's, like, the timeline is wild to me to think about, because, like, 
between that band and the next band that do like it was just like it's, it's and thinking back it, it was actually pretty quick yeah at the time it felt like forever right but yeah montage you know um playing the harper for the homeless show was awesome um and then it you know just kind of ran its course uh because we were just going through other members all the time like we couldn't keep a bass player second guitarist blah blah blah, blah. And, and obviously we were getting older so we you know we wanted to do something different yeah and that's why i kind of want to put a timeline on that because I've, I've talked to other people about that before like when you're young a couple years seems like like seven or eight years you know what i mean but like now looking back on it like two years when i was like 19 or 20 is like a blink of an eye you know yeah it's, so it's weird yeah it's kind of weird. <laughs> and correct me if i'm wrong kind of getting ready to dive into the next bang too uh brent now was he in heavy hearted too Okay, so so we're kind of getting into that band too. That's actually when you and I first met. Like I kind of knew who you were before that, but yeah. So in between Hanging Tough and Heavy Hearted, there was actually another band I was in. Um, very briefly, we played like maybe three shows. Okay. Uh, called Words We Spoke, and that was with Brent and uh, Nate Derby was actually in that band, who we'll talk about later. Um, and uh, and that was actually where Kevin. So with Heavy Hearted, Kevin wanted to do a hardcore band, uh, Mahoney, and um, he had heard my, he had heard words we spoke somehow. I don't know how, probably on the obviously on the internet, but uh, and he liked my he liked my voice and he like messaged me. And me and Kevin weren't friends yet. I knew who Kevin was since I was 15 years old since that first show, but like you know, and then uh, he messaged me he's like, hey man, I'm thinking about doing a band and wondering if you wanted to singing it and i'm like yeah considering i've like looked up to you you know at this point for you know five years or whatever and um he graciously like was like yeah do you know anybody else and i you know let brent do it and uh our friend devin played bass who's uh devin hubbard he was uh his brother scott is the guitarist in earth crisis so he's a syracuse kid so that was cool I was like, oh, cool. Tell me everything about Earth Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> um, and originally, we had Bob from Polar Home play drums, um, but just on the demo, and we couldn't find a drummer. We actually played, like, did a few practices with um, this dude in Syracuse that played in Another Victim and... Uh, couple other bands so that was cool but he couldn't tour and i just threw some stuff out on the message boards back then and uh moscato jesse reached out and he's like hey uh we're looking for a drummer or whatever i really like the stuff whatever and i'm like yeah and, he, and he's like yeah i've been in a few bands <laughs> and he listened i'm like jesus christ yes yeah absolutely and then um yeah did that heavy art was cool um did some cool tours and a lot of crazy shit happened. Like at one point we were supposed to like Stillborn Fest, Jamie Josta's like thing was gonna come to Rochester and we were gonna talk to him about like a record deal or whatever. And then I think the show before they were playing in like Albany and uh, Frank broke his leg falling off the stage and then they canceled the rest of the tour and then nothing ever came about. Like weird stuff to think about like dude Jamie Jasta, like, yeah. uh, listening to my band is super weird. Considering, like, 
I remember getting uh, victory style compilation and hearing Avery for the first time. It's just like a lot of weird stuff. And then Kevin had to Kevin quit because he got offered to play guitar in Hit the Lights. And you know Kevin, I was you know I was bummed because Kevin at that point was like one of my best friends. But then we asked Nate Derby to come in play guitar, and uh, it was cool and. I was a huge asshole back then. <laughs> uh, you know, I was in my early 20s. It was just a, a lot to learn, I guess. Um, and um, we parted ways. Uh, they kicked me out. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, and that was it. And they, I mean, it worked out better for them considering they started such gold shortly after that and got to like tour the world and go to Australia and shit. So. Um, but no, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And again, that was only, uh, what, like two years you want to say, or if yeah, that, I think it was like two years, like, yeah. even, which is crazy. Also think about because we did a lot in two years. What was the recorded output with that band? Like what, what kind of stuff did you guys have like actually released? So we did our demo, which me and Kevin burned hundreds of copies like diy like took hours putting together the like sleeve putting all the sleeves and we handed them out for free at every show like i remember hearing a story of um someone passing them out like oh the the there's like that bane show at all things art in canadagua and someone was passing it out and then someone at like after the show there was just a ton of rcs in the middle of the street <laughs> classic um, yeah so we did the demo and then we did just the uh we did like an ep um with like some of the demo songs and a couple new ones and, and that was it um this record label put out the ep um we went on a tour i think uh, didn't put on anything else. So then, in between, now that the next band that I can recall is Fork Tongues, or was there were there any other projects in between? Or no, um, yep, it was. Uh, so Heavy Harder broke up. I was really bummed because I just got kicked out. Like, you know, at the time I was like pissed off. Like I, I really was mad at, at uh, guys in the band. Obviously, now that I'm an adult, more of an adult, I, I understand. Um, and I talked to Kevin. I'm like, yo, can you write some songs with me? And you don't even have to be in the band. Just write some songs. And you did get some shit out. And we did. And it was actually called Abominations first. And we wrote some songs. And I tried to find people to be in the band. And we played one show as Abominations. And none of the dudes could play the songs. <laughs> it was like... It was bad. They were like too, like they were just too complicated or whatever. Like, uh, so I kept one, the easiest song, and then that's when me and Sketchy changed the name to Four Tongues, um, and got every, Brent. Brent was in that again because my dad and Heavy Hearted had broken up, and uh, yeah, uh, we had a lot of you know bass players. Um, Dude Adam played bass at one point. Um, this dude Zach, you know, again, uh, you know, revolving door of bass players. 
Um, and then Joel um, from Drew's played drums. And um, yeah, Fork Tongues, uh, Fork Tongues was actually together longer than any band I did uh, up until that point. But it was like we were together and played shows, and then we'd break up. And we played like kind of like got back together. It was a whole thing. <laughs> but that's when you started uh, sonically started shifting into more of like the heavier kind of dark and dirty sound. Now, like, what was that your idea to play more in those kind of bands or? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, from like heavy hearted to Fork Tongues, I think like it was like a combination, like I said, of uh, you know getting older and, and experiencing more life things uh darker life things i guess um and also just you know listening to a little bit of darker bands and and uh i don't know i just got angrier in my mid-20s um and like you know i wanted to kind of get try to get that out there uh you know uh sound wise with four tongues you know like my vocals got angrier but like only certain lyrics were you know i mean i you know that first uh, demo we wrote lyrically was uh, you know had more like personal stuff but then as like the songs progressed it kind of just turned it into like a weird uh um not a gimmick but you know like a um concept record where it was just like <laughs> a concept record based off of uh, buffy the vampire slayer actually <laughs> So it's just, you know, about the apocalypse and all that fun stuff. Now, when you were writing about that, did you tell people that's what it was about? Or was it kind of one of those inside joke things that I'll tell people about afterwards? So I told some people, I dropped hints all the time because of our, our uh, the names of the songs are all references to Buffy. And of course, no one in the band knew because, except for Joel, but uh, because no one pays attention <laughs> and if you're in a band and you're not the vocalist most of the time you have no idea what the songs are what the names are so i kind of had like free reign to do whatever i want with that shit so uh i definitely took some liberties when it came to naming the songs I'm like why is this song a whole like sentence it's like oh, don't worry about it it, it works <laughs> so were you a fan of the movie and the show or more of the show or both uh, well i watched the movie when i was like younger but yeah. the show was really what i was like a huge fanboy for but uh yeah so i'm like and especially at the time i'm just like i watched it all the time so i'm like yeah it's good lyrical content you know um especially because i had already kind of let out a lot of the uh real personal stuff in the early songs um and i would still like it would like be a weird thing it was like a weird thing where i i was telling the story of a character uh, while also throwing in like stuff that was happening in my life, so it was like it was it was cool, it was fun. That band that band recorded a lot, um, did a lot of recordings, and uh, played a ton of shows. Never got to tour. We did like a weekend with Pale Horse, that was cool. Um, never got to really tour, um, but uh, it was cool. You know, put a lot of merch. Sketchy probably still has a ton. <laughs> Now, before we dive into the next band, because I definitely want to, you know, talk a lot about that. Um, the last time I actually saw Fork Tongues was at a benefit show 
um, at a space on uh, either south or Mount Hope. I can't remember what, what street that space oh, is yeah, on. Um, so that was a benefit for Patrick Doyle and um, um, I can't remember Heather because uh, they had recently had a fire at their house. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, this past year, we you know we lost Patrick Doyle, and and that was uh, you know a pretty devastating loss for Rochester hardcore. So uh, just in case, you know, I forget to mention that at the end of the episode, you know, and anything we talk about, I just want to make sure I, I, you know, mention him and, and always pay tribute to him in every one of these episodes because as we both know, he was a pretty important part of our scene. Yeah, and that show too, like, that was like a four times reunion because we had already been broken up for, I don't know, a few years. Um, but Doyle was the, the best dude, you know. He was, he was... <laughs> He was the quintessential New York hardcore dude. You know, he he would help you whenever you needed help. And when obviously when their house burned down, like none of us questioned getting back together for Doyle. You know, and it, 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 I wasn't like friends with Doyle. I didn't hang out with Doyle, but I talked to Doyle regularly. I would see Doyle at every every show I saw Doyle. You know, you know he'd uh, shake my hand, New York hardcore brotherhood. You know. I would see fucking Doyle at shows across the country. It was it was wild where, where I would run into him, and he'd always say like Rochester Hardcore Pride, what's up, brotherhood? Like, I'm like, it's like crazy. That dude lived and breathed hardcore till the end, you know. Like, so yeah, losing losing him was just another shitty thing to happen last year, you know. Like, and I don't think there'll ever be like another dude like Doyle that I'll probably meet. Right. But yeah, so let's kind of talk about uh, Holy War because I think that kind of, you know, in addition to being one of your better bands that you've done, it's interesting because you kind of reunited a lot of your, your bandmates for that one at that point then. So how did that, how did that come together and just kind of take me down the whole, the whole path? Um, so Fork Times wasn't doing anything and uh, Heaven had been in Hit the Lights for a few years and I was, I, we were hanging out at Kevin's and he's like, Yo, I wrote this song. Do you want to hear it? And I'm like, yeah, because Kevin—that's the thing with Kevin too. You know, Kevin loves hardcore and loves punk. Kevin is a musician; like, he can write any style. He can play in any fucking band. You know, and that's—I think that's like what Kevin was put here to do. Like, you know, to to just be that dude, whether it be touring with huge bands or being a you know studio musician whatever like he's a musician you know what I mean and I have respect for that um he played me this song I'm like dude that's really heavy he's like yeah I want to do a heavy band I'm like fuck yeah and he's like you want to do it I'm like yep <laughs> like no question and uh and we started you know kind of writing some stuff and Kevin was like you know Kevin had his like his idea of what he wanted the band to, to sound like and be and um, I was like, yeah, that's that's what I want to do right now in in this like phase of my life because I'd never done, I've never I, I'd never done like a, a band that heavy, and I had a lot of stuff to say. Um, that because at this point, you know, I'm in my late twenties, um, and I only got like more angry, and uh, uh, but I was. I was angry, you know, angry at a lot more, like, broad spectrum things, you know. Uh, there was some, like, you know, internal stuff, but, like, a lot of it was, like, 
oh, like there's a big world out there of shitty things that are happening, and I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, let that out too. And it was perfect. Like me and Kevin were, you know, there wasn't a idea either of us had really that the other one didn't agree on. We were just like just totally on the same page. We're like, okay, well, let's find. And he, we wanted to just have one guitarist, you know, um, and we, we had to find other dudes. It's, you know, it's harder to find drummers, but he asked Nate Van Dam from Hit the Lights um, if he wanted to do it. And Nate was like, yeah, which is wild because Nate had never been in a heavy band ever. And he was in, he played drums in like huge random like band, like Yellow Card and fucking uh hawthorne heights he played on like a record i think like just weird and he's like yeah i love it and then uh we need a bass player and you know derbs derbs is a really good guitarist so i'm like hey derbs do you want to play something that you can just totally shred on that'll be easier than playing guitar and derbs wanted to do it and it was it was cool um it was like you know it was everything i for the most part, it was everything I wanted to do in a band since I started bands, you know, like in terms of the music, Kevin and I were really big on the show matching the music. Like I never, um, especially the first, you know, few shows, like I never talked in between songs. I never was like, Hey, how's everyone doing? Like, thanks to, this band and this band and the promoter like that shit happened off stage you know but it was like no like we want to come on stage and play fucking 15 minutes of you know 10 songs in 15 minutes that just like punch you in the face and you really not let up and then so that when we we're done playing people were like what did i just fucking see you know and then and i think we got to do that um so it was cool you know started the whole cutting of my head thing that was a that was kind of like a i grew up loving professional wrestling and list like if you i mean you 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 know like old punk bands too like the dead boys and like iggy pop and stuff they used to cut themselves too because it was like shock value you know it was like whoa like that dude's bleeding it's the same thing in wrestling you know when you see someone bust it open you're like oh that that's some serious shit and it was it was for to me it was like an artistic expression like okay like i really want you to see this band and hear this band and be like what the fuck am i seeing and i i people are like why don't you just use fake blood i'm like because then it becomes like like cheesy to me there are bands that can pull it off like one of my favorite bands is misfits you know uh but i wanted it to be real and people a lot of people got upset I got upset, you know, like, oh, like, you know, you're promoting self-harm. And I'm like, I'm fucking self-harming. This is me letting out all these demons in my fucking brain right now. I don't necessarily approve of it for anybody else, but, like, that's what I was doing. I was taking a straight razor blade to my forehead. A lot of people still thought it was fake. I remember we played a show in Canadaigua, and I went to go cut myself. I guess now, you know what? podcast exclusive let people don't know a little secret so the cuts weren't actually as deep as people think 
the blood, it looked like a lot, but it's the same trick that wrestlers use. I would wait to the middle of the set until I was sweaty. And I used the straight razor blade, yes, but it's such a fine cut that it's not really that bad. And it would mix with the sweat to make it look like it was all blood. However, at the Canadawa show, I did a cut, I was running off adrenaline, and it, I, I, I looked at my hand and there was no blood, so I started to panic. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta do it again. I go to do it again, and in the middle, it railroaded it essentially, and like made the cut real deep because it hit the cut already. By the time I turned around, I couldn't see anything. I was like scooping blood out of my eyes and like throwing it off my hands. And this old guy photographer, Al Brundage, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he's like, really love the fake blood after the set. I'm like, thanks, Al. <laughs> you know, that was uh, that was a bad one. So. But I, you know, I, I think they also got to a point too where and we get a lot of people talk shit on the internet. There was a specific show we played at the Bug Jar after it had been like known that oh he could, he's gonna cut himself. And I remember cutting myself and turning around, and there was like six photographers in the Bug Jar, and I felt really weird. Like I'm, I'm just like okay. So every show we played after that for like a few shows. I did the, it was ultimate like wrestling heel move. I thought instead of, oh, you want me to cut my forehead? I'm going to wear a fucking ski mask to cover my face completely. So you're not going to get the shot you want. And, uh, and then I just stopped giving a fuck after that because the ski mask was too hot because I'm a fat dude. So, you know, <laughs> but. So you, you, a couple of things because you touched on a lot there. I want a couple of follow ups there. One quick question, uh, just for local people that, uh, probably aren't as familiar with that kind of music. Nate Van Dam is from here and played in the band Murdoch, if I'm not mistaken, prior to all yeah. the other bands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nate, that's the thing. That was his, like, I, I remember Murdoch uh, playing the Fairport Teen Center all the time. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. yeah, that was where he, like, started. Yeah, my old roommate Brian Allerton was friends with all those dudes, and he played in a band with some of the dudes who were in that band, so that's kind of how I know who all those dudes are. Yeah. And I remember when they were all kind of joined and hit the lights, him and, him and Kevin. Um, yeah. Uh, before I have a few follow-up questions to the blood, um, Holy Wars only played like a handful of shows, or like you guys didn't play a ton, obviously, because everybody else being in other bands and stuff. Or yeah, I think we played maybe ten. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. I've I've never had the opportunity to see you guys on Fort. I mean, I've had the opportunity, but I haven't been there. Is what I'm gonna obviously. Yeah, so. I think we played like ten shows in eight years. Yeah. Um, some something like that. Like, it's been nuts, and we're not broken up. It's just uh, you know. Nate Van Dam lives in one of the Carolinas and Kevin moved to Nashville so like you know we'll probably play a show again um and uh it's kind of we always kind of like said we we did we never wanted to just break up you know we we'd play shows even if it was you know every few years right um even if nobody came because we that's the thing too we, we never did it for any type of adoration or like with big plans of touring or get big or whatever like it was literally like fuck it like let's just write let's write the angriest music that we can write and i think we did an okay job yeah it's really interesting uh you know having uh well shout out to kevin mahoney he's, he's on uh in the archives if everybody's kind of new to the podcast with your episode go back and listen to his episode um but it's interesting like i wouldn't expect him to play in a band like this too like i've known him for a long time too and it's just crazy to think of him playing in a band like this, yeah. you know, on the opposite spectrum of what I'm used to hear, hearing from him. 
But before we, I, I also want to talk to you about the record too that came out recently. But I, I have a, a few follow up questions to the blood before I forget. Um, you guys would be near the top of my list of bands I'd want to see after COVID, but obviously I'm a little concerned with the blood. I'm guessing you probably won't be able to, if, if you were to, you know, hypothetically, if there were shows this year or next, you probably have to kind of put that on pause for a little while, you think? Or Honestly, like, that, I've, thought, I've had a conversation about this and thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, I, it's like, Holy War as it was, I don't think could exist in a post-COVID uh, show, or at least not initially. Um, you know, I think it'll be some time before people are comfortable with someone bleeding all over them around them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, but there's other things I can do. You know, I have, I have ideas floating around that kind of, you know, still let out that, uh, you know, artistic aggression, if you will. Might have to save the blood for a live stream or something, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've... Uh... You know, I think this probably happens to you too. As you get older, like from like 20 to 25, and then especially into my 30s, uh, I meet less and less people involved in the hardcore scene, especially young people, just because it seems odd to me, like not trying to be like, you know, like a, a sketchball going up and introduce myself to like teenagers, you know, now that I'm in my, gonna be 40 soon. Um, and actually, I would say within the last 10 years, I can only name a few people I've met uh, in the hardcore scene, but one of them was, was uh, Jared. Uh, when I when I booked his old band and and now he's running that label, uh, Sore Ear Collective. He's just done a lot, a tons of cool shit, uh, a lot of Rochester shit, some not, but a lot of really cool Rochester shit. So kind of take me back to you know how you got you and him kind of became friends and how the how the relationship kind of came about with working with him with the label too. Um, so I've known Jared since he was uh, maybe fourteen, fifteen, um, before he even moved to Rochester. He's he's from Hornell. And I lived in Livonia, and uh, I met him through Joel, who played drums before it comes, because um, they grew up together. And I remember, like, I used to go see Jared's little punk band when he was a teenager doing Operation Operation Ivy covers. <laughs> uh, like, they played outside like their school. I don't know. And uh, so I always, you know, I knew him from then. And then it's, it's weird. Like, we're at an age too, like you meet people when they're younger and you're just a little older you see them grow up and you know and that's what happened with jared and and um i've always loved that kid he's always been super nice and funny and he's a weirdo like me like me and jared are very similar just he's more outwardly like like he still talks to people and stuff but like we're we're huge (laughs) weirdos so um yeah, and then he, he'd always wanted to, I guess he'd always wanted to do something with Porcon, or uh, with uh, Holy War. And um, he's like, hey, do you, can I put out like a record? Uh, and we're like, yeah, <laughs> sure. We never got to put out anything like physically. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I appreciate everything that kid did in, in terms of putting out that record. It's just like a cool thing to have, you know? Um, to take take you know put your money put his money into you know putting out songs that are five years old you know that's a cool thing to do he is putting out really he's put out some really good stuff um both local like you said locally and not local like you know one of my one of the newer bands that i've listened to is on the label that band drowse yeah and they're like 
six doesn't matter all the two have gotten more into like dark influenced hardcore that's like not influenced from dark hardcore bands but like influenced from like you know like 80s like goth bands and stuff right so you know it's cool he's, he's a cool kid yeah his his label i i, I like the the eclectic mix of music on there too like there's there's you can you can find something different in each release so I, I definitely want to get him on an episode in the future so i guess that kind of uh wraps up the, the band part of the conversation but like i was saying in the beginning if there's anything we hadn't already touched on with like your lyrics or anything like that that kind of influences you like not, i guess now would be the time to kind of touch on that um now nah, like i said it's just a lot of like you know uh i didn't write too much political stuff with holy war even though i you know, I could have. Um, I was focused, like, I always like to go deeper, you know. Um, like, I wrote a lot of stuff about, like, organized religion and stuff. Uh, to the point that people were like, oh, are you, like, you're, like, one of those, like, Satanist fans? I'm like, no, no. Like, I just, I really don't like organized religion. I just don't really like, like, any type of authoritarian, like, figure, <laughs> be it from religion. But that's the thing. A lot of people are so focused on the political side of things they don't like you know realize you know at least at one time some some weirdos might argue that it's still that way but at one time you know the, the church had a lot of power a lot of pull still does uh, in, in like certain circles you know a lot of you know conservative shit is based around bullshit stuff that they pull out of the bible or whatever that they twist at, I don't know but you get, that's a a long podcast we can have but you know so i try to you know let people know like yo you have to like there's a lot of enemies to you know uh to our type you know uh, like within the class system and it's not just on the political spectrum you know you have to like look at it from all the other angles too you know what's interesting you have mentioned kind of uh, enemies, and, I, and I'm not going to use that word here, but like just people yeah. that I would ordinarily think would be allies, and this kind of uh, kind of touches on both the next couple topics I had for you for questions anyways, yeah. is like lately I've kind of discovered that there's a lot of people like, and I don't think people from hardcore and punk should all have the same beliefs to begin with, but it seems to me that there are some people that I've kind of been seeing more and more lately that I don't know, some of the things some people We'll dive into some of the, the, the conspiracy theories and stuff in the current events, too. But there's just... I don't want to call these people closet Republicans because there's no right answer between the left and the right, as far as I'm concerned. But, like, right. some of what I've been seeing from people lately just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I'm not naming anybody, like... I, I wouldn't do that anyways if I was trying to. It's a, it's a group of people. And it just seems kind of like... I know it's been a long year, and some people probably just been trapped in, indoors, and they've been reading a lot of dumb shit, but... Some people that I've seen within the hardcore scene, to me, just kind of, I don't know. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, you know. It's suspect, for sure. It's very questionable. I think, like, uh, and, uh, maybe it's not even Republican. We just, that, that's, like, the easy, it's just definitely not, to me, if, and I hate the right and left thing. Um, I think it's just a matter of, like, are you, like, a selfish asshole? Or do you truly care about everyone you know like it's not just your bubble and there's a lot of and it's also like i think too like the feeding of you know information 
for kids like is isn't is insane now and with that comes the like the ability to just read misinformation and the way social media you know acts is if you're constantly watching videos that or you know liking posts that have just misinformation it's going to create a fucking echo chamber for you that all you're getting is misinformation and you're eating it up and believing every word you're not a lot of those people like to say like do your research or you know whatever but it's like you're not listening or you're not logically thinking of, of where your information is coming from you know i could sit here in front of my computer and make a two hour long youtube video on whatever the fuck i want if i sprinkle in a little fact here and there people are gonna be like oh see but what what are my qualifications for doing so you know you know and then we've also been taught to it don't get me wrong i don't trust the government you know on either side of the aisle you know a lot of people you know that i know are like you're gonna get the vaccine i'm like listen i don't trust big pharma you know and like pharmaceutical companies are like our healthcare system is a joke you know and they are you know greedy companies but i you know i i like to weigh out options and you know my decisions come from meticulous research and it's not just mainstream media either it's like i want peer-reviewed research you know like with shit that's going on you know and i'm sure we're gonna lead into this but you know uh shit that happened last year i shouldn't say shit that happened last year because this is stuff that's been happening for you know hundreds of years um but with the black lives matter movement you know there's so much misinformation going on there you know uh and when i do my like like videos and things like that of protests in other states and cities like peer like you know stuff that is like on the ground level is usually the thing you can trust the most if, if you're you know if you're reading it secondhand from some you know random website that quotes themselves as a source odds are you're being fed some misinformation you know it's, it's just logic no one has no one thinks logically anymore it's bizarre yeah, it's, it's really weird. It, to me, it definitely happened within the last 10 years because I, in 2012, during that election, got rid of all my social media. I kept, like, a, a burner Twitter just for, for like, uh, sports yep. sports beat writer accounts for fantasy sports, literally. That's all I use it for. Um, and in that time, though, between then and when I got back onto social media last year, it's like, holy shit, what is going on with all these people? And, again, some of them are from our culture, you know, and it's it's crazy. And it's like, it's, it's interesting too, because I've watched the deterioration of people I know, people we, we know, like of, uh, I don't know, I guess of their, you know, thinking over the years, but I, I truly believe that over the past like couple years and then this last year, uh, it's gotten worse. Like, and it's, it's honestly like, it's frustrating first and foremost but it's sad because these are people that you you know are friends with and you try really hard to just have like honest conversations but it's scary
it's scary, you know, between, you know, the last day of president and QAnon and stuff like that. It's like, it's, it really is like cult-like behavior. Um, a lot of people use throw that word around, and I hate when they do that, but it, that, like, there's no other explanation for it, you know? There's a lot of really good documentaries about that. Like, um, there's one on Hulu called the, the Brainwashing of My Dad, about this woman whose father was a lifelong Democrat, slowly started listening to Rush Limbaugh, who, rest in piss, you piece of garbage, uh, and his whole mindset started changing. Because they, you know, they throw out those, like, buzzwords, you know. And both sides are guilty of the buzzword shit. And, um, and it just starts to, like, grab hold. It's wild. Yeah, the whole thing's crazy to me, but it's, it's just crazy because it's like you were saying before, and I was starting to touch on it, too. Most of the shit these people say is completely unfounded to me. Like, the... Again, I'm not naming names, but I, I sent a screenshot of an article to my buddy yesterday that had been shared, and I'm looking at the article, like, what fucking website? You don't even see it in the screenshot. Who is this person that wrote this article? I've never heard of him. Where's the yeah. link to your article? Not there. Like, I don't believe any of this shit that you're posting, and why are you posting it to, like, fucking, like, all these people? It's just crazy, yeah. you know? A lot of it, a lot of them will just spread memes. Yeah. And take memes as the word of truth. Yeah. It's, crazy yeah i could make a meme right now that looks legit i had talks with uh paul from the way we carry quite a bit because me and him talk politics a lot yeah and one of the smartest dudes i know when it comes to politics and uh we could make a meme and i guarantee if it sounded legitimate could be just 100 percent false information if it sounded legitimate we could probably make it go viral yeah, that's 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 also what I was saying about the thing I I, sh I sent the screenshot to my buddy yesterday because I'm like, yo, I could just like you're saying, I could create a blog, I could write some bullshit article, and then start sh people would share it and it becomes viral like you're saying, and there's no way like who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? I just made some shit up, you know? Yeah, and what they don't realize too is a lot of these people that are doing that are doing it to monetize those articles. Yeah, a lot of those bigger like assholes like Ben Shapiro that dude lies to get clicks yeah. to make money they will lie to make Rush Limbaugh admitted that he, his main goal was making money yeah I think a lot of these you know? yeah I'm sorry I think a lot of these right wing like provocateur types are definitely they probably don't even believe this shit when they go home it's, it's just like they're they're actors you know and they're just but they, they look how much money some of these idiots make doing this shit though you know it's it's insane it's crazy um, so I guess, yeah, we kind of touched on pretty much, you know, I, I had planned on asking you like current event type stuff, but that's pretty much it. Um, the one thing I do want to kind of touch, touch on just real quick before we, you know, close up on some more hardcore related stuff is locally, uh, related to black lives matter and police, uh, being dickheads and just untrained, uh, people and assholes. Um, obviously, uh, within the last couple days of this being recorded, the news of the Daniel Prude. Uh, officers not being charged came out uh, and also in between us recording the, the, the trial episode and this episode news of police officers tasering a child came out too in Rochester so um, I think you and I both again we've talked about you know during protests and off air but just to kind of give people an idea how you feel about everything that's kind of transpired uh, you know here's your here's your, your chance <laughs> and it, it, it's so you know uh, 
for a while now, RPG has been notorious, like has had a reputation. Um, obviously, that reputation has you know somewhat been uh, under a, a, a magnifying glass for good reason. It always should have. Um, I think it's 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 really sad. Um, I can't imagine how uh, you know the black community uh, feels about that. Like it's it's disgusting you know uh, there's so much wrong with to me what the police like represent uh how they were founded uh it's been proven and like a lot of people shit on defund the police because they don't understand what it means um it's been proven to work in cities that have done that but no one wants to hear that they always make the excuse like oh well what are you going to do when you know, your house gets broken into and stuff. It's like, okay, here's the thing. Police aren't here to protect us. They're here to protect property. That's it. They're, they're not here to prevent crime. They come after a crime is committed. Uh, and they're murdering people, and, you know, black people all the time and getting away with it. And it's, you know, and the verdict with, you know, Dana Prude was not shocking because... And I, I, I had that ounce of hope that, hey, you know what? Maybe with all of the protests that have gone on in the last year, they listened. Someone was listening. And, but sure enough, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it does matter. I think moving forward to keep, we, we have to, because what else, what else do we do? Do we just fucking lay down and, 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 and nothing changes? You know, this fight has gone on a long time, you know? I mean, again, we could talk about this for hours, you know, the idea of the, you know, class war and things like that, how, you know, class war has been going on for thousands of years. Um, and the fight will keep going. Um, I always say, like, I might not see, I, I might not see the change that I wish I could, um, like in the, you know, grand, grand scheme of things in my lifetime, but, do I just not speak out and fight for it? Or, you know, like if I speak out my whole life against, you know, the atrocities that are committed against marginalized groups of people, and, you know, maybe we don't see police reform to the level that we want, but at least like, you know, certain steps happen. At least I, I did something, you know, rather than just being like, nope, you know, Closing, like closing a blind eye or whatever to the things that go on around you because they're not directly affecting you. I, I just, I, you know, I got to an age where that I couldn't do that, and I think that's because of punk rock. And I'm not like you said, like you're not saying everybody should have the same beliefs, but like <sighs> punk rock to me has always gone hand in hand with, you know sticking up and walking side by side with marginalized groups you know the, the fucking that Henry Rollins did an interview a few years back when Trump got elected and he said like this is what Joe Strummer like taught us to do like this is the fucking time for that you know the clash we're singing about them you know like you know it's you know if, if you can't attach yourself to that being a part of this subculture then it's like weird to me like why are you here especially when you see like really like far like conservative like carpenters i'm like 
what about the what about this do you relate to because you look at old hardcore bands agnostic front babel you know they're singing about blue collar workers and like you know being poor and broke and stuff and you're on the side of the people that they're singing about oppressing them you know on top of the fact that those bands have immigrants you know at least you know and they're Latinos like myself and my grandma, you know, so, you know, um, at the risk of turning this into a two hour episode, I'm just going to say that I agree with everything you just said. Um, I definitely think change needs to be brought forth. Um, one thing that I'm kind of spitballing with, and again, you know, obviously I have a lot of episodes to catch up on, but I do think you and I could have a longer conversation. Uh, and I also think we could bring aboard, uh, another pillar of the Rochester hardcore community, Matt from uh, new ethic. Because I told him after I interviewed him that, you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff that was starting to happen locally and nationally happened, like, right after I interviewed him. But that dude obviously has a lot to say about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I would love to have you and I and him, you know, sit down, be it on Zoom or in person sometime in the future and talk yeah. more about this kind of stuff. Um, is even more educated than I am. Right. And that would be, I would love that. Right, yeah, no, he definitely is more educated than I am as well, you know, I'm, I, 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 I try to do the best I can, but you can tell when people like him know what, what the fuck they're talking about, and it'd be good to get him on to talk more about this kind of stuff. So, kind of just jumping back into hardcore a little bit here then, I think we kind of touched on with the with the last uh, conversation we just had, you know, again, like, we, we were getting older here, but, you, like, what's going to keep you motivated to kind of keep keep pushing forward with doing a band and kind of being a part of this movement you think i think especially after this year um there i got a lot i have a lot more to say um whether or not it will be in a band or you know maybe a zine or, or something um i feel like i want to contribute um and, you know i think even though i'm older and a little out of touch sometimes um I think I still have some, I don't know, knowledge, I guess, to pass on. Um, and, you know, I definitely want to do that more after, you know, things start opening up again. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's you know, I hope that we're, like, seeing that light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And uh, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing, you know, how how things are you know i think a lot there's gonna be like a, a big sigh of relief for a lot of people and um it'll be i think sh i truly believe the shows are gonna be insane um like i just think any event's gonna be crazy like people are just gonna be so happy to be around each other or whatever but like especially hardcore shows man like people i don't think people need you know a wildlife festival <laughs> uh harder kids especially younger ones they need shows you know the music does a lot but the shows the the, the atmosphere of the show and having all your friends it's like important so yeah i just you know i think it's gonna be good and i hopefully you know i hopefully have some more stuff to contribute it's, you know now you talking about crazy shows that's definitely something i've talked about on here at length i mean again we don't know I mean, hopefully we can, we, we, you know, later this year maybe, but definitely by next summer, I would think we'll see some stuff. I think we're going to see some really crazy bills. Now, if you could put together like a dream lineup, like of any band, any era, you know, 
Like, what what do you think? What, what would be like the four to six bands you'd want to see on a bill like that? Yeah, I, I would say. Um, I think it'd be sick to see uh, Integrity, uh, the OG lineup, uh, with American Nightmare, <laughs> and uh, I think yeah. keep it at four bands because anything more than that, dude, come on. You know, we're in our thirties now. It's too much. Yeah. Um Gorilla Biscuits would be sick. Um I got to see them though. That was that was great. Um but if I got to see like basically my favorite hardcore bands on the same bill. Um Judge probably as well. Or token entry. I mean, I know a lot of these shows already happened, like, especially, <laughs> you know, B&B and things like that, but seeing them all together, it'd be cool, too, if I should uh, say that. It'd be cool if it was in Rochester. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen all those bands, um, but never all together in Rochester. Um, that'd be cool, something like that. That's a pretty interesting and diverse lineup. I, I mean, that... Obviously, I don't know if I'll put together a show like that, but I definitely want to start getting some stuff together again. Maybe maybe talk to a couple other promoters and work with some people this time around. But like, I think that, as you were saying, we're going to need some good hardcore shows here. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going anywhere at this point, obviously, so I think I'll have the time to put some stuff together and we can, you know, use this podcast to promote some shit too. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of to see what kind of happens to Rochester, you know, after everything kind of opens back up, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess I only have the, the last couple of questions here then. So uh, a good friend of the podcast, kind of Rob Antonucci, came up with the idea of like a, me asking people from their city of like a Mount Rushmore for their scene. I don't know if you've had time to kind of think about that or if that's something that... I always made the joke that uh, my favorite Rochester band of all time was Delta Force 23. <laughs> um, so I just, I love those bands. Um, no, but... Uh, I had to make a Mount Rushmore Rochester. Um, Howie R would be in there. Um, that band was super important to me. Uh, all three of Rory's like bigger bands were like Standfast and Howie R and Achilles have all been pretty important to me. Uh, you know, Antonucci's like building on fire was one of my earlier shows uh, the basement of Java's. Um, I would say um, old Rochester punk bands too. Um, there's this band again. It's all like important at a time, like 17th class. If you know any of those dudes. Um, Rushmore is not, I don't think Rushmore is enough, uh, there's not enough, you know, um, cause there's so many Rochester bands that I think, you know, I, I feel like Rochester bands too never got enough credit, you know, I think there's been a, real, a lot of really good Rochester bands that no one ever talked about cause we have Syracuse and Buffalo that yeah. have huge bands come out of the cities. I think that era definitely a lot of the bands here were underrated. I think more so in the mid to late two thousands there was there was a few more noteworthy bands here, like obviously Such Gold and 
and sirens, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to make it easy, I'll just say Dan Fast, Howie are, and Achilles, and then probably, well, I know, I'm going to put Nobody Cares on there. I was really into that band. They were from Honeyoy, which was right next to the town I was living in and grew up in. So, you know, obviously listening back, you put out Nobody Cares, so, <laughs> um, which I was very pumped on when you did that. Yeah, that was a very uh, important band in my life too. And watching like, and I'm, and you saw it too because like the show you were talking about, like that band definitely went from being this kind of like uh, kind of mediocre like punk pop punk band, and then they just transformed into this like awesome like rock band basically. You know? Yeah, it, like it was it was good. You know, like Matt and Brian. That was they, I was so young too. Matt and Brian were like the cool older guys in the town over that were like the cool punk dudes, right? Part of the scene, whatever. And uh, and there was that, you know. And then once they once uh, Vinny joined and uh, and and Tevin, it was like, oh, this is like this band could get really big or something, you know. This is totally dynamic change, but they were fun, dude. That shit was fun. Seeing them and Delta Force Twenty Three and. Five Star Riot at uh, Water Street was, you know, that show was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think that was when Nobody Cares changed their name. Yeah, they changed it to Roses Are Red around that time. Because I, I put the CD out the first time Stefano and I put it out together. I think they were still called Nobody Cares then. Yep. And yeah, then when and I... You put it out again. Yeah. Red, exactly. Color, just the name. <laughs> yeah, I think we changed the artwork around a little bit for the second pressing to uh, yeah, it was like different colors. Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a digi pack at that point either. Not to get too, uh, you know, nerdy with the, uh, <laughs> you know, listen to listen to the interview Rob Antonucci did with me. I, I talk about all that kind of stuff on there. But no, yeah, I agree with you though. Those dudes were definitely influential for our scene. Uh, Matt obviously wanted to do really cool things, and he was always uh, just uh, an interesting uh, personality and always good conversation. Uh, and the rest of those dudes too though you know they were all just really good dudes so I'm, I'm glad i worked with those dudes for sure but that pretty much wraps everything up man i appreciate you being you know patient with you know the kind of setback i had with the uh, the laptop and whatnot is there anything we didn't touch on or anything else you want to shout out or any projects uh post covid or anything like that you want people to check out um no not i mean uh just so i got a lot of friends doing really cool things um, you mentioned Jared and, and Sawyer. Um, my buddy Adam does uh, Outer Heaven and uh, Aimless Arrow. Um, check that out if you need merch made and stuff like that. You know, um, Adam and me grew up together too. He's like, as like a core four of best friends is my buddy Adam, Bill, and Ray. Bill, you know Bill Steiner. Yep. And um, you know, Adam, Adam still in Rochester and doing cool things and I don't know just check out a lot of a lot of really cool like hardcore run businesses you know Ugly Duck you know um uh Pizza Whiz shout out incredible if yeah I eat there too much <laughs> uh you know a lot of it's it's cool when you know when hardcore dudes get older and start businesses that uh benefit the community it's always good uh new ethic like you said as well um uh, other than that yeah 
no plans so far, but trying. You know, gears are the gears are turning. So, um, yep. All right, that wraps up this episode. Thanks to Chris Pogue for doing the interview. Thanks, as always, to Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for the never-ending support. As always, check us out on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. The next episode will feature Nick Lemesis. Thanks again, and be safe. All right, thanks again to everybody for checking out the episode. Here's a couple tracks from Holy War. The songs are called Wasteland and No Hope.